Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. My name is Tim Priester. Tim O'Malley is to my left, Pete Sampson to my right, and John, John Bryce. Uh, Pete's been with, Pete is not a part of the uh, Irish Illustrated uh, crew anymore, except with our podcast. We're glad to have him. Uh, I, I've got to say, first of all, in a place like Dublin, with all the bars and pubs, it takes a lot of guts to name your bar the bar. It, 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 must, it must be the best one here in Dublin if you call it the bar. Uh, thank you for being here. We are, uh, this is my third trip to, uh, to Ireland to see Notre Dame play, and we are very much looking forward to another Notre Dame Navy game tomorrow. Is that right? Do we have that right now? We're getting, yeah. trying to get our days right. Uh, glad that we're getting close to the game. But this has been, uh, uh, once again, an incredible trip for us. We appreciate we we appreciate the host greatly here today. Okay, all right, I'm gonna turn it off. Go ahead. Okay. And uh, let's have a little fun here. We're gonna talk a little bit of Notre Dame football. I have some questions that our subscribers have uh, submitted, but we want first and foremost for this to be interactive with the people in the bar. And um, I think we're gonna we're we're gonna follow the procedure that we normally do and. We're not going to do that. <laughs> okay. The the procedure that we normally do for our podcast, we have opening segment and talk about a variety of things. We will talk about we will talk about the Notre Dame Navy matchup, and then when we go to segment two, which we always do, we'll take we'll take questions from here. If there's a lull in the questions, I have some that our subscribers have submitted. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Notre Dame Navy, the 96th game between Notre Dame and and Navy, which is pretty incredible. It is an interesting matchup once again, as it usually is, as Navy usually makes it. Uh, a little bit different this year, though, because they have a first-time head coach who was their defensive coordinator for the last four years. Did a really, really good job uh, in coordinating Navy's defense, except against Notre Dame a couple years ago when Notre Dame ran all over them. But Brian Newberry is their new head coach. They have a new offensive coordinator. And one of the things that we'll be talking about here today is that Navy with their new offensive coordinator who is with uh, Brian Newberry at Kennesaw State wants to throw the football a little bit more. In the past, this is my 42nd year covering Notre Dame. So there's been a lot of Notre Dame Navy games and they've gone through different different types of offenses and usually uh, through the years when a triple option offense tries to incorporate the passing game, it negatively impacts their triple option more than, more than it helps their passing game. So that aspect will be, uh, will be interesting to, uh, to track as we get into tomorrow's game. But I'm going to pass the mic over to uh, Tim O'Malley and he will share some of his thoughts on Notre Dame Navy. I probably spent too much time looking back at 
last year's game, and it's, it's interesting because I know where all our predictions are probably going on this one, and we're going to bury the lead by talking about how hard it is to take on Navy uh, with a new offensive coordinator and new head coach. But if you just think back to last year's game, it was the frantic passing that brought them back into it. Where there was an injury to Lavatai, the frantic passing game brought him back. We talked to DJ Brown. Pete and I talked to DJ Brown, actually, um, the six-year safety this week. And he mentioned some of the struggles. It's everybody, you always hear the coaches say, I discipline is a struggle and, and trying to maintain your gaps and integrity. And he, I thought he said the most interesting thing I've heard a player say in years covering this game. He said, the monotony is so bad you forget what the down is playing defense on down a distance. He said, you forget it's third and eight because they just ran a fullback dive six times in a row and you forget how many yards they got. So I think it's going to be, there's going to be a few plays in this game where Notre Dame's defense just looks like they have no idea what's going on because it's a season opener against what Al Golden said are really three systems they're trying to marry. But for me, and I think you guys agree, there's 55 offensive snaps. If they look bad on five of them and they're not five touchdowns, I think Notre Dame will then be able to adjust and move through it, Pete. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it. Uh, we're going to pass it. Wow, that sounds good. Uh, we're going to pass over to Pete Sampson. I just want to say that Pete Sampson, uh, who was a business partner, partner of mine, uh, rose above all of us and landed a job at The Athletic. We're very proud of what he's accomplished. He's a tremendous journalist. And uh, up next is Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, DJ Brown forgetting the play at down a distance reminded me of this week and not knowing what day of the week it is. Um, so I think we can all commiserate with DJ Brown on that. Um, but yeah, it's like it was interesting to hear Marcus Freeman talk yesterday at Aviva Stadium that he voluntarily rewatched the game on the way over, um, which seemed very miserable. But uh, it was just. And he talked about how there was like a lack of effort in some of the plays that he saw on tape, which is not really something that you would associate with the way Marcus Freeman has tried to coach up the program. And I think some of the things that we saw during training camp um, this year about how physical everything was uh, and just how dialed in like Marcus Freeman was at the start of those practices. So I would, I think if Notre Dame plays with great effort tomorrow, that in some ways will make up for maybe the four or five plays where Navy gets them. Um, because if you play with great effort, you shouldn't have a untouched fullback running for a 50-yard touchdown, which has happened a few times over the years. So it's, um, it's a great series. Um, I think Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, and I agree with him on this, if you play Navy in the first game, that's a bigger advantage than it would be otherwise when you're trying to downshift in November from USC or Clemson and get into Navy and then get out of Navy before USC or Stanford. So. Um, I would expect Notre Dame to play very well tomorrow. Um, and, you know, when Marcus Green watches, re-watches the tape of this game next year, it'll probably be a much more enjoyable experience. I, I, I do want to, before John speaks, I want to say that uh, I want to let everybody know that John Bryce is the newest, uh, newest writer at Irish Illustrated, and we're thrilled to have him. He just started on August 1st. We tried like crazy to get him a year ago. We lost out to a to a better entity. He, he worked for the University of Notre Dame this past year, uh, but that did not dissuade me from continuing to pursue him and try to get him on the, on the uh, Irish Illustrated staff. So we are thrilled to uh, have added John Bryce to the Irish Illustrated staff. You, some of you may know uh, of his work with Football Scoop, uh, which he does a, a brilliant job with that, with that outlet as well. Ladies and gentlemen, John Bryce. I appreciate that. Um, 
Appreciate that. I definitely uh, would not consider myself a, a five-star addition, but I, I appreciate an introduction kinder than I deserve. Um, originally from East Tennessee, my wife is a South Bend native. She's here. She works for the university. Uh, we've lived in South Bend for a half dozen years now. It's been fun getting around and getting to know the program and, and the people that make Notre Dame the, the very special and unique institution and entity that it is. As it pertains to this week's game, I think uh, O'Malley and, and Pete make a couple of points that we both have already talked about. And Tim, from an offensive standpoint for Navy, you and I specifically watched Notre Dame over the course of camp, doing a little bit more work on a defensive standpoint in, for, pass, for pass protection or pass defense, and watching them work some new drills that we hadn't seen in the past, uh, where their scout team was motioning uh, from the wingback position and then turning it into a passing route and seeing how Notre Dame handled that, seeing the help. And then, Pete, to your point, we talked about it yesterday. Uh, Marcus saying that he rewatched that tape voluntarily uh, and specifically saying publicly there were effort issues, there were things that we could control. If he said that to all of us in, in the press conference yesterday, you can bet his team has heard that more than once over the course of this summer and, and this preseason camp. I think that was very much intentional. I think that is been displayed by the way that Notre Dame has had a much sharper edge, a, a much um, a more aggressive sort of raw edge to the way that they've practiced on both sides of the ball. I don't think I've only been around the program a half dozen years or so. I don't think I ever remember that much trash talk. Uh, and I think that was a very good thing. Can I go? You know, one of the things about the Naval Academy, the one of the great things about the Naval one of the, one of the great things about the uh, the Naval Academy is that rarely do you hear that it's an effort issue when, when they don't play well. So um, that's just what Notre Dame has to be prepared for. I were, you, know, you know, I mean, let's be realistic here. Notre Dame had a 35-13 lead at halftime last year, and it is, it is human nature to let down a little bit when you think that you have a team and you, you have that team beaten and you score five touchdowns in the first half. But uh, you can't do that with Navy. And, um, you know, hopefully lesson learned for the players on this, uh, on this team. We want to get into uh, the addition of Sam Hartman to the Notre Dame team. Um, you know, the level of play at quarterback was inconsistent to, at best last year. There are probably other words, Pete, that you would probably uh, use for that. But it was inconsistent at best, and Sam Hartman has attempted almost, in the first quarter tomorrow, he will surpass the uh, 1,600 pass attempts, I think it is. Maybe it's 1,400, but and he'll, he'll get to 1,000 completions here this year. He's just a, he, he's, he's a guy that, he's a great leader. I mean, we, we first saw Sam Hartman uh, at Wake Forest in 2018 as a true freshman, and I, I, I mean, I can remember coming away saying, man, that's Sam Hartman. That kid really competes. I'm impressed with him. Well, now he's in his sixth year of college, and he plays for Notre Dame. And it's just going to make a tremendous difference. For those that subscribe to, to Irish Illustrated, you know that we've talked a lot about Notre Dame's wide receiver core. And it's, a, it's an area of a concern. But, I, the, you know, the great thing about Sam Hartman is that he's going to make all of those receivers better uh, just through his experience and his accuracy and his leadership. And so... It'll be very interesting to see what kind of chemistry he's developed with the wide receiver core. Um, you know, there's a couple guys on that list that need to step up. If they don't, you're going to see a lot more throws to the tight end. They don't have Michael Mayer anymore, but they do have a deep group there. And one of the things that we've seen in camp is Hartman's ability to 
go through his progressions quickly, accurately, and when he doesn't like what he sees downfield, he'll get the ball to a Chris Tyree underneath. He'll get the ball to one of the tight ends. He'll get the ball to one of the running backs. So uh, it'll be very interesting and a lot of fun to see Sam Hartman play quarterback for Notre Dame. I think it's going to make a significant difference. Um, and, um, you know, I, th I, I agree with Pete. I think Notre Dame is very primed to play very well tomorrow, but we know that Navy will continue to battle. So uh, looking forward to tomorrow and seeing what Sam Hartman can do in charge of the offense. My point's about Hartman as well, because if, if you don't remember what happened last year, Pine had about 234 passing yards in the first half, threw four touchdowns, ran for a touchdown. I do not remember him running for a 10-yard touchdown, but I'm told that happened by the stat sheet. And then the second half, you can describe it in four numbers, 6-5-4-1. They had six total yards. They had five total drives. Four of them were punts and one was an interception. So the only successful drive they had was the last one where they had one snap and knelt down, which is the most important drive in any game. But that's how bad the offense was in the second half. And you can't put it all on Drew Pine. You can put it on Drew Pine, on Tommy Reese, on Marcus Freeman, on the offensive line, on the wide receivers. But with Sam Hartman, I think the 234 passing yards and the success he in, that the offense enjoyed last year in the first half should be something that carries over for four quarters. And that's the only thing I disagree with a little bit with Marcus Freeman. I'm sure the effort went down a little bit because remember, Dorney even scored in the half in that game to go up 35 to 12. 35-13, it's human nature, but it wasn't all lack of effort. They were getting bundled up front, and Drew Pine was afraid to throw downfield. That won't happen with Sam Hartman. I think he is the difference not only in this game, but in many games going forward. But I think it's easy to say that in three of the first four games this season, it's going to matter how much of a difference he makes in those other nine games. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think, you know, Marcus Freeman talked about taking your foot off the gas a little bit yesterday. I mean, and it, I think sometimes you could take that as like, well, that's a commentary on the players. I think it was a commentary on the coaches. Like, if it's up to it's up to Freeman now to sort of, at halftime, if they're up 35-13, to keep going for it, opposed to like, let's start running out the clock. I think as soon as Notre Dame got in that mode, they were just off. Um, I think also having J.D. Bertrand tomorrow is significant. Um, he missed last year's game. Uh, they're starting middle linebacker with, uh, I think it was a groin injury. Um, and like that, while the defense played well-ish, certainly in the first half, um, I'm not sure that you're going to see an untouched fullback running in for a touchdown if, if he's out there the entire game. So at that point, maybe you're up 35-3, to three, and then you can take your foot off the gas. But um, I just think Notre Dame is, is primed, and they should be primed in a way uh, – to play Navy well tomorrow, not just offensively with Hartman, but defensively with Bertrand back and then two other linebackers in Maris Leofow and Jack Kaiser, uh, who have seen Navy multiple times. Um, you know, these are guys that are going to finish the season probably with a combined 1,500 snaps among them. That's, uh, that's a good place for Notre Dame to be defensively. I, th I think in a lot of ways that um, the return of JT Bertrand is almost as significant on the defensive side of the ball as that unit's quarterback as the addition of Sam Hartman is on the offensive side of the ball. He just makes everything flow for Notre Dame. He's faced Navy before, even though it wasn't last year, and he's just so smart with his reads, not just for himself, but getting everybody else aligned and being able to recognize um, sort of what the situation is going to dictate or what the situation should dictate as it pertains to the Notre Dame offense. I, I just think that 
they're going to take some shots downfield and maybe they're not successful even 50% of the time tomorrow. But the difference is they have the willingness to do that this year, not just from the quarterback, but from the play being called and from the wide receivers that want those opportunities to get downfield and get those. And we've seen them, guys, we've talked about it all camp, sort of force feed a lot of stuff downfield, again, only in the portions that are open to media. So we saw two full practices and then basically uh, glorified stretching exercises most other days that turned into attendance taking. But um, we've seen them in even the, the limited past skeleton one-on-one -on -one sessions, We've seen them very much want to force the issue, particularly between Sam Hartman and Jaden Thomas and Tobias Merriweather. I think that those are the connections you'll look for early or the shot attempts downfield that you'll look for early tomorrow against Navy. And then I still believe, and people on staff have told me they very much believe, Chris Tyree has absolutely the ability to be a difference maker and presents so many different things they could do with him, whether it's a pitch pass coming in motion, whether it's um, setting up a tunnel screen for him or just getting him in a bunch of mismatched situations. Notre Dame believes he's an advantage. They've got more players on the roster than ever before running 21 miles an hour or faster. I also think that's very significant, not just tomorrow, but moving forward through a very difficult season. Notre Dame, I believe, is faster and more athletic than I've seen it in a really long time. I want to make two points about what Pete and John said. I, I don't like throwing numbers at people in fun settings, but Sam Hartman in the last two years has thrown 36 touchdown passes that went more than 20 yards in the air. That's not something you've seen at Notre Dame recently. If it was, they would have had a much more explosive offense over the last couple of years. And Pete, you mentioned J.D. Bertrand being back and all the players that have played against Navy. They have 17 guys on defense in this game, which is a lot, that have played against Navy, more than 10 snaps. 17 guys that have played against Navy over the last two years, 16 of them last year, Bertrand was the 17th. You are well prepared at this point to be able to attack Navy downfield with Hartman and with that defense. An, an interesting thing transpired uh, during the preseason. Again, again, this is my 42nd year covering Notre Dame football, so I've seen a lot through the years, and usually like we go into to fall camp and we have a pretty good idea of what this team is about. You see it during the spring. You talk about it, you discuss it, you talk to the players and coaches, and you have a pretty good idea of what's to come. But I, and I think we're probably in agreement here. An interesting thing happened during the preseason. We went into the we went into July and August. They started practicing July because of the early kickoff. Um, and, and we went into it with the notion that we weren't sure about the defense. We weren't sure about the interior defensive line. We still aren't sure about the pass rush. That That's something that is yet to be determined and the, the standouts in that area still need to prove themselves. But an interesting thing happened, it, 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 maybe I'm only speaking for myself here, these guys can, can chime in, but I think this is a better defense than we anticipated and you're seeing guys like, like Riley Mills and Gabe Rubio and Jason Anye and uh, Howard Cross who really established himself as a strong nose tackle last year. This is a bigger defensive line on average. They're about 10 to 12 pounds heavier than they were. And there were games last year, uh, the second half against Ohio State, the Marshall game where embarrassingly, they really kind of got pushed around by their offensive line. And then, you know, late in the season when USC was able to run the football, Notre Dame kept answering offensively. Drew Pine had a, had a great game against USC, but the Notre Dame couldn't stop. Caleb Williams, of course, first and foremost, but 
um, you know, the defensive line is getting pushed around a little bit. I don't think that's going to happen this year. And, you know, we mentioned J.D. Bertrand. I'm a, I'm a big J.D. Bertrand fan. I, I feel like I was one of the guys who was the first ones to – I didn't jump on a bandwagon. I created the bandwagon for J.D. Bertrand because I think he's just a quality college player. Can he play in the NFL? He's a little undersized. That's not what we're talking about. We're evaluating college football players. Like I always say, you know, he's a quality college quarterback. I, I it, It's hard to anticipate how a guy's going to, to uh, transition to the next level. For example, Sam Hartman. He's going to put up great numbers this year, but he's a little undersized for the NFL, so I don't know about that. We comment on these guys when they play for Notre Dame, and I think J.D. Bertrand, first of all, is extremely intelligent. The linebacking core, J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leofow, and Jack Kaiser are as smart as you're going to find in the country, and that's that's the brain trust of this defense. But they're stronger and more impactful up front. The cornerbacks, uh, they have a deep cornerback room. And a couple of additions, Thomas Harper and Antonio Carter the second to the, second to the uh, safety position has added more physicality. We heard more talk and saw more physicality during the preseason than we normally do. And yet they came out of the preseason in really very good shape, uh, you know, injury-wise. So it's it's been a very interesting preseason. I don't normally say, oh, I feel differently about this group or that group, but I think the defense um, has has proven that at least to me. These guys can speak to that. Yeah, I was just gonna. You were mentioning the defensive backs, and I mean the last time Notre Dame played over here, they took. Uh, High school running back moved into corner and just were like, "Hey, you figure it out; it'll be fine." Uh, turned out to be Kavari Russell, and he had a really good career. But you, I say that and you think about where Notre Dame's depth is defensively now. They don't move running backs to corner anymore out of desperation. Um, their fourth, or maybe you could say it's their sixth corner, is a kid named Christian Gray, who was a top hundred prospect out of St. Louis. We've all, I mean, we've all covered a lot of Notre Dame teams, and there are a bunch of them where Christian Gray would be starting tomorrow. Um, on this one, he maybe will get 10 snaps. Uh, and that's, that's a real positive for the depth that's been recruited here, uh, because there have been times where Notre Dame has had holes in its defense that were so glaring that other teams could take advantage of it. I agree with these guys that, you know, the pass rush is something, that's the last piece of the puzzle for me with this defense. but. I know people, look, in press conferences, Marcus Freeman is always going to be upbeat about the defense. But talking to people that know him personally, when the microphones are off, they are very, very bullish on this defense. Um, we'll see how that bears, this, bears out. Maybe less tomorrow than against NC State, and certainly against Ohio State, but there's probably more optimism around Notre Dame's defense this year than, than I would have thought uh, when training camp opened at the end of July. And to your points about the defense and Navy perhaps uh, uncorking some big plays tomorrow, I think the difference now is uh, Notre Dame is, is so attuned to what it's doing. It's got the same defensive coordinator in back-to-back -back years for the first time since 1920. I think that's very significant. Then you've got the return of Bertrand. And then Notre Dame is so much more athletic. In addition to having bigger stature on the defensive line, I think Notre Dame is so much more athletic in the second and third levels that if Navy busts a play, maybe it's a 12-yard run or an 18-yard run instead of a 30, 40, or 50-yard run. So I do believe all those components are significant. And as for those linebackers that you call the brain trust, I believe after tomorrow's game, 
the trio of Jack Kaiser, J.D. Bertrand, and Maris Leofow will have played a combined 110 games together at Notre Dame. You cannot put a price tag on that type of experience. The, uh, we're going to... We're going to uh, wrap up segment one, but I, uh, John DeLugalecki from the Nordam Club of Los Angeles is in the house. Um, wrapping up segment one, and then we're, then we're going to take questions, but I, I did just real briefly want to talk about the schedule because I think it is, it has to be one of the most challenging schedules in the country. Not only do you play three top 10 teams in Ohio State and USC at home and at Clemson, who Clemson wants Notre Dame badly. Uh, Notre Dame's won the last two regular season games against them in Notre Dame Stadium. But you also have really most of the best of the ACC. Notre Dame has a 28-game winning streak in regular season, I think it is, against ACC teams. But they have to go to NC State. They have to go to Duke after you, uh, Ohio State. After going to Duke, which won nine games with former Notre Dame defensive coordinator Mike Elko, they have to go to Louisville. And then all you have is USC, a physical Pittsburgh, and then you have to go to Clemson. It is an extremely challenging schedule that I, I don't think we hear enough about that. Greg McElroy from ESPN has talked about um, how difficult of a schedule it is. I, I think this is going to be a really good Nordic football team, but they are going to have to string together performance after performance after performance against some of these teams. Uh, as they move forward through the season. So just want to talk about that. I didn't know if we would have any questions about it, but I just think it's a, uh, a very challenging schedule for Notre Dame in 2023. That's it for segment one. Coming back, segment two, we call it burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit GameDayYourWay.com. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50-plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit aerlingus.com to book today. We call this segment two, burning up the boards. I, I'm going to start with a couple questions here to get the ball rolling, and then we want to turn it over to the people here in the crowd at the bar. First question is from Statman72, loyal subscriber to irisillustrated.com. We hope that you are one of those as well. Uh, we have a question from Statman72, and it is, Pete Sampson used to have the theory that the first game was a good predictor of the rest of the season. How likely is that to be the case this year? What aspect of the team's performance Saturday will lead to the greatest overreaction by fans? Nordic fans over fans overreact? Here we go, Pete. The first game is only overreactions by definition, I think. Uh, but yeah, pretty much like the entire 12 years of Brian Kelly, 
I would say 10 out of the 12 years, you knew everything you needed to know about the team after watching the first game, good or bad. Um, whether that was hammering Texas and this offense is incredible, or whatever happened the next year, and you're like, this defense has no idea what it's doing. So I don't, I don't think tomorrow will be that indicative, um, especially defensively. I do think that Sam Hartman will start, to, like, he will start to show off why he's at Notre Dame in the first place. Um, but in some ways, I hope the receivers are not there yet. Like as if they've been sandbagging all training camp. I think that position is probably going to have to develop during the course of the season. I think the offensive line won't be at sort of all the way at full speed tomorrow either uh, with Rocco Spindler and Pat Coogan as new starting offensive guards. So I think tomorrow might be the exception to the you know pretty much everything you need to know in, in game one, um, that rule. I think from an overreaction or a reaction standpoint um, that tomorrow's game most significantly will signal Notre Dame as a completely different offense with Sam Hartman. Um, the, the offensive line I don't think is, is fully settled. We'll see if um, Coogan and, and, and Rocco can hold on to their positions over the course of things. I still think there could be some jostling at that left guard position. Um, but, but I think that tomorrow, from an overreaction standpoint, we'll be justified if the offense performs how I know Pete and I believe it will perform because we talked about uh, he wants to bet the over, maybe he has already bet the over. Um, I expect Notre Dame to put up a lot of points. I expect people to be brimming with the possibilities of what this Notre Dame offense can be with a Sam Hartman at the trigger because college football, much like the NFL, has never been more quarterback dictated, in my opinion. I, uh, I believe in percentages, I always have, because uh, they are indicative of a lot of things, but I've never believed in this. That I, and I, and I, I agree, I mean, in 10 of the 12 of Brian Kelly's, it was indicative of the season, but so much changes. I, you know, at the end of every season, you, you look at, I mean, you, you look at what happened early and by the end of the season, the evolution of a team, whether it be injuries or the development of talent or guys that didn't develop. I just think that it's a, you know, a, a team is very different by the end of the season. So I believe in the stats, and, and, and Pete was right about a lot of the things uh, that occurred over the course of those 12 years. But I, I don't, I like, I think Nordame's going to play very well tomorrow. Uh, and, I, and I think that they're in a position to have a great season. Again, I go back to the schedule. I've been talking about this in the preseason an awful lot. It, it, you, just, you just don't know when you, play quality team after quality team, just how your team is going to react. So I, I don't put a lot of stock uh, in it, I, and I especially wouldn't put a lot of stock in it when Navy is your first opponent because they can be so quirky in so many so many different ways. You're preparing for the type of team that you're not going to play the rest of the year unless you have Army or Air Force on the schedule. My main thought on this is I've, I've always kind of marveled at Pete's stack because it keeps working on. Remember, I think the one time I pointed out it didn't work, I was like, well, ah, it's not 100% anymore, Pete. So, yeah, obviously that stats aren't like that. But this is the one year where I don't think you know enough about Notre Dame until after they leave Raleigh, uh, game three, because Tennessee State's not going to show you much either about Notre Dame. They win 35 nothing or 52 nothing. That doesn't matter very much in Tennessee State. But when they leave Raleigh, thankfully the game ends around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? We have the noon gift of a game in Raleigh. Uh, that's when you're going to know a lot more about Notre Dame, Sam Hartman. 
And the offensive line, look, we could, you can say all you want on the offensive line needs to gel. I totally agree every year, but you better gel by the end of game three because you're 25% of the way through the season. At that point, you have to be something. Sport, sports, writers, sports writers love noon kickoffs. Sports writers do not like night games in general. I mean, just because of the nature of the... Right. I understand as a fan sitting around drinking beer through the whole game, starting early in the day, that's, that's all great stuff. But uh, especially for us aging sports writers, those new kickoffs are wonderful. I'm going to ask one more question from one of our subscribers, and then we'll turn it over here. Somebody may be a subscriber here asking a question. Or otherwise, it won't matter. But last one here from uh, the ones that were submitted, Andy Irish Berg, and that is this: This team has the most depth since. This team has the most depth since. And then the, another question: Does this team have enough talent on the edges to compete in a playoff game? It's got more depth than. Every team since, let's say, 2015, that team was still very well stocked. Um, someone asked about, is this the best running back group since Holtz? I think we forget, not to get in the weeds here, they had they had Folston's, thank you very much. They had Folston, Adams, uh, CJ Procise, Greg Bryant was still on the roster at the time. They were That was a very deep group as well, but it's the deepest secondary since Holtz, for sure. Um, They've been deeper at linebacker. I, I really believe they're four deep at linebacker in terms of going in and playing games right now. I love Drake Bowen. I love Jaden Osbury. I think he was my second highest rated recruit. I just don't think those guys would go in and win right now at NC State. It certainly is a deeper defensive line than we thought it was going to be. They're 9, 10 deep. Could hit 11. Um, the offensive line, I think we've, we've argued about this back and forth on our podcast. All five guys are top 200 players that are backups. That's a deep offensive line. So I, I think this is the deepest group now. We've asked this question, we've, we've posed this question internally, the edges, is it a playoff edge? Not right now, right? It, it, it's not right now a playoff edge, it can't be. That is the thing that has to develop as the season goes along. Yeah, it, you, I mean, you have to prove it on the field, and they, they haven't done that. I don't know if they've done that in every practice. They didn't do it in the ones that we were privy to, per se. Uh, maybe that's half right, but... Anyway, uh, they have to prove that, and that's uh, probably the biggest question mark about the, the defense going into the season. Yeah, I, I feel like defense on the defensive edges, that's where sort of there's a bit of a blind spot in the defense. I'm not saying that Javante Jean-Baptiste or um, Jordan Vitello can't deliver in spots this year, but it's a defense that's sort of been calling out for Isaiah Foskey type of sort of build, uh, and that's that's sort of where the depth uh, and like in modern college football you know Bryce mentioned like it's quarterback driven that's 100% true more than it ever has been so what do you need to counter that you need pass rush uh, and that's I think sort of the second most important position on the field is sort of a true edge rusher which Notre doesn't have right now so you know there are positions like O'Malley reference where it's as deep as any team that I've covered and this is my 23rd season um, so I, I wasn't around for the Holtz era, but um, you know, it's like if you're if you're deep in certain spots, but not at the most important spots, um, which is quarterback, defensive end. And I mean, you could make an argument that wide receiver in the modern college game is right there too, um, and corner. So they've got corner and quarterback covered. It's the wide receiver and defensive end spots that are sort of the concerns. 
Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more, Pete. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that you weren't covering those Holtz teams in elementary school, but uh, we all have our flaws. I, I would say that on on the edge, Jordan Botello has had a much more consistent, productive camp than we've ever seen out of him. Now, part of that has been because Notre Dame has, has shifted him around throughout his career, and he's played a variety of positions. I think he's settled into a position now. I think that makes a big difference. And, and Javante Jean-Baptiste is not Isaiah Foskey yet at all. I think he has that sort of top-end potential. There are people in the program that believe Isaiah Foskey is a more athletic version, or excuse me, that, that Javante Jean-Baptiste is a more athletic version of Isaiah Foskey. Um, Javante just doesn't have the football knowledge or experience that Foskey had by the time he was setting records at Notre Dame last year. Um, and then an another element on the pass rush that I do believe is key, we've heard so much about Jalen Steed. He's not just the fourth linebacker, he's somebody that is going to factor into what Notre Dame does, particularly in obvious pass rush situations that I think will give Notre Dame an added edge. I think he's clearly Notre Dame's most athletic linebacker since Jeremiah Lusu Koromoa, and one of Notre Dame's more athletic linebackers and teaming with top-end potential since probably Manti. He, he's just got a, a world of physical traits that I think can help him out. And then I do real quickly want to shout out the fact that so many members of Notre Dame's record-setting development department are here today, including T.J. Pilari. He was uh, nice enough. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. TJ was nice enough to enter the Notre Dame Guinness event with me last night, and then he ducked under uh, a barrier, and I never saw him again the rest of the night. So thanks for showing back up here today, TJ. One last thing on the pass rush. I think Notre Dame, when you don't have established defensive ends going into a season, you've got to be a little bit creative. And JB mentioned Jalen Sneed. I think that he's a... He's a, he's a weapon that Norde needs to develop. I know that they would like to do some things with Maris Leofau uh, that they weren't, a, weren't able to do last year. I know a lot of Norde fans uh, you know, commented on Lea, how Leofau would slam the middle of the line, middle of the line of scrimmage and not get past that. I think they want to use his athleticism off the edge a little bit more. So when you're not established uh, at, at defensive end, you have to be a little bit creative, and those are a couple guys that can help them do that. And I will say that the development along the defensive interior can help free up some things with your defensive end uh, ends. When when an offensive line has to pay more attention to an interior defensive line because they're getting a good push, that ultimately leads to opening some things up off the edge with your defensive end. So it's a, it's a work in progress and you have to be a little bit uh, creative to, to get the pass rush sometimes. We are going to now open it up to questions. Lynn, do we have a mic to, That's it. to distribute? Just hand that mic to him. So. Okay, great. We're gonna have questions from the audience, but you need to come up and if you're the first one, I'm gonna give you an Irish Illustrated Dublin 2023 t-shirt. We've only got two more and please, if anybody would make a donation of a million euros, we'll give you a t-shirt as well. So. Okay, here's, who's the first question? Tim, you pick him. He, I'm sorry, he made the first move. Alright, so my question is, you guys have repeatedly talked about how the two main potential uncertainties this year are at defensive end, 
and wide receiver. You took this exact same roster and put on Pete Golden Tate. What's your prediction for the season? Put on Pete Golden Tate on the roster. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you had it, yeah, if you had a golden golden take to this uh, this receiving core, it, it would it would certainly take them to another level, maybe two more levels uh, than where they are right now. You know, I, I want to be clear about this because it, like, we think that there are some good receivers on on uh, you know the the wide receiver core, but. You do have tight ends. Again, we don't, there's no Michael Mayer, but I do think that Hartman's ability to check down and go through his progressions and find tight ends and running backs, and Chris Tyree is a former running back, but he's a slot receiver that's going to, going to work the underneath routes. Um, you know, so they, they, do, they do have some bodies and they do have a chance to have success, but what they need is for two players in particular with a higher ceiling than most to emerge and and those two guys are really it's it one in particular it's Tobias Merriweather who's a sophomore that only played a little bit he caught one pass last year and went for a 41 yard touchdown against Stanford so it's a couple of the higher ceiling guys that right now have not established themselves that have to uh, step forward but a Golden Tate (laughs) In the lineup, that would be somebody that you would feel confident that you can throw the ball too deep and that he would catch the football. The one deep ball that Merriweather, I guess, had a, had a chance to make a play on, he did last year. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a work in progress. I don't think that we feel uh, as confidently about a Deion Colsey who did emerge in the second half of the season last year. So it'll be a work in progress. Uh, Golden Tate's not coming back anytime soon, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, it's a great thing to have Sam Hartman on your side. Hi, uh, Joe Turgeon from Connecticut. Um, along the same lines, I guess the other question is you're stating that the two um, question mark areas, defensive end, wide receiver, are, are part of the problem. One of the issues is also they're practicing against probably two of the stronger areas that Oregon has, which are quarterbacks and offensive tackles. So my question is, how much of their lack of production in the preseason is a function of how good the other areas are as opposed to them not being good? Very good question. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and I think it's one that I actually asked Chancey Stuckey, the wide receivers coach, about uh, in camp, and he's like, yeah, you, you 100% have to keep that in mind that you're going against probably one of the deepest cornerback rooms in the country. Um, but that's different from what we saw where you're seeing, like there was a practice we went to where Tobias Merriweather got lined up incorrectly and you see Chancey Stuckey getting on him or then you see him, a ball goes through his hands that is there. He doesn't like make the play that he has an opportunity to make. So I think that's, it's it's definitely a fair point because like there have been practices where we've gone out to and I'm, I'm trying to think of the last time where, you know, maybe you'd see Julian Love and Chase Claypool match up or uh, veteran Kavari Russell and Will Fuller match up or... Um, you know, even just like Joe Walton, Isaiah Foskey, and like you, you watch some of these matchups, and you're like, this is high level stuff. And like one player won and one player lost, but you you know both these guys are really good. Uh, I think at, at the corner 
receiver situation. You know the corners are good, but you haven't seen enough from the receivers about like even if they're not beating their man to know like okay, they got some ballers here. So I think that's sort of what we haven't seen in camp. Maybe we'll see it tomorrow because um, they're not going to play against corners as good as their own corners for a while, um, and then maybe that gives them a chance to sort of ramp up a little bit as this as the season gets going. Yeah, that's a, that's a. That's a really good question, Joe, and uh, Pete makes a couple of great points. I would also remind that um, late in preseason training camp, Notre Dame coach Marcus Freeman had his team watch uh, a specific segment of HBO's Hard Knocks, and it showed Sauce Gardner, going, the, the Jets' DB, going against Garrett Wilson, the Jets' young standout wide receiver that they just drafted from Ohio State. And Marcus Freeman highlighted that matchup to show, hey, these are two great guys going against each other every day in practice. And Wilson's not winning every rep, and Gardner's not winning every rep. And then Notre Dame's coaches took that, and Pete mentioned Chancey Stuckey, he talked about it. Mike Mickens also talked about it. Notre Dame had some drills in preseason camp where they said, this is an NFL matchup. This wide receiver going against Ben Morrison or Cam Hart or whomever, this is an NFL matchup for us right now. Uh, Jaden Greathouse, they all believe has the type of top-end potential to be an NFL wide receiver. There's similar optimism with Rico Flores, with Tobias Merriweather. Jaden Thomas isn't going to be a first or second round NFL pick, but a guy on staff told me he thought he would play eight or nine years in the league because he just does everything so well and so steady. So all of those things, uh, in my opinion, are very much factors for this. And to your point, yes, I don't think Notre Dame's wide receivers will face as athletic a secondary as what they face every day in practice until Ohio State comes to town. And I don't know that Ohio State right now has a single member of its secondary as good as Ben Morrison. I don't think there are very many secondaries in all of college football that have a single player as good as Ben Morrison. Here's the question. Irish Tony, a demonstrated subscriber. Coach Freeman talked a lot about development of the twos, putting them out against the ones and things like that. What do you, what are your thoughts about seeing the twos tomorrow out on the field? What what kind of parameters do we have to see? Is it going to be points that we score, or uh, yards that we uh, did not allow? You know, what, what are your thoughts when we start seeing those those depth players that were the recruits that were four stars, five stars that we have? in the lineup that we want to see start coming into our game. And big shout-out to Irish Illustrated for hosting this event. Thank you. I think it goes back to mentioning there's 17 guys back that have played against Navy. And speaking of a two, Jalen Steed got his first ever career snap in a start against Navy last year. Now, he only played about 10 snaps. But Jalen Steed's going to be involved. He's a definite two. They will rotate the eight guys up front. I think the only, and they will rotate three or four safeties, three corners. You'd be a little less on corner in this game defensively. Um, offensively, they'll get in six wide receivers, seven, probably seven wide receivers, four running backs, five running backs. The one difference, I think, is you do have to trust the guys you're playing that they won't have a mental breakdown. And I asked Al Golden, what are you looking for for your starters for this game? Because Jalen Steed started. Why did he start last year? He knew he had a role for that. Part of J.D. Bertrand wasn't there, but Prince Kali was supposed to start. Junior Tula Halamaka had to start. He said the, the tiebreaker is if I trust you and what you're going to do, you will be playing more snaps. But 
I think you'll see. You'll obviously see more next week against Tennessee State, but that's not what you're looking for. You, you'll, I don't think they're going to be hiding the twos they trust. Right. This might be a good indicator of the twos they trust that they could put into this game. Tim, I think that's a great point, and, and I was going to say something along those lines. Somebody like Jason Anya, number 47, who's the backup nose tackle. I don't know how much experience he has against triple option. So him as a backup against Navy, he, we may not see as much of him. When they start getting into more, uh, facing more conventional offenses, then definitely. Actually, I think the rotation tomorrow will be fairly tight early on, especially because you want to make sure that you can't just keep, you can't run guys out there, you know, 10 guys on the defensive line if they are unaccustomed to dealing with the triple option blocking scheme that Navy employs. But the, I, I think beyond tomorrow, I, you'll, you'll see more of that. And, you know, I frankly, I've often wondered why more teams haven't, haven't inserted their twos with their ones more often during camp. It only makes sense. Uh, I know many times that the defense will rotate segments like their their two backup defensive tackles at the same time or their two backup defensive ends at the same time but an injury can occur early in the first quarter and force your second team on the field so i don't know why i don't know why teams don't do that more but i think over the course of the season notre dame's depth on defense is definitely going to surface here but uh navy's not the one that you want to do it too much against because you can get gashed pretty quickly I was just going to say real quick that the two that I'm most interested in see tomorrow is Steven Jelly. Because Notre Dame really needs to do a good job this season of figuring out, okay, is that Jelly somebody we can roll with in 2024? Or do we have to find the next Sam Hartman in the transfer portal? Do we have to roll with Kenny Nitschi? How do you evaluate him this year? Um, I think the, the idea of starting CJ Carr is like sort of a, a hope and a prayer that it's not a great way to run a football program as a true freshman. So I think getting, and I talked to Gino Gulli about this during camp, it's like they got to let Angeli run the offense. Um, so I, I would like to see Angeli get in in the fourth quarter tomorrow and run the offense, not just hand the ball off to Jadarian uh, Price or Jeremiah Love or whoever's in the game at that point. Thank you. Hey guys, long time listener, first time question. You covered a lot of Chris Tyree's move to wide receiver this offseason and how much time he spent on the jugs machine catching balls. Relative to other slot receivers of the past, including Raymond McKnight, Robbie Tomer, Theo Riddick, and to as impactful as Devontae Neal, how will we rank um, Chris Tyree looking back on this season? So, very quickly, Devontae Deal did play in the Navy game here 11 years ago, so that's the guy. Uh, so your question is about the end of the season, how well we yes. think about Chris Tyree. I hope it's quite a bit different than what we think right now, because I don't think we've really, have we seen Chris Tyree? Yeah, I mean, we just, we haven't seen a whole lot of it. I, and, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see Chris Tyree as a guy that's going to run really intricate routes because of his background as a running back. I think he's more of a guy that, you know, find a seam, sit down in that seam and get him the football and let him do what he can do in the open field. Jet sweeps are tailor-made for, for Chris Tyree. You're going to see that. I, You know, I mean, I, I, I just hope it's many levels beyond what we've seen. I, I, maybe, again, I'm speaking for myself, but it hasn't been there. 
we certainly know that he has the ability to, to break something. He's likely to be returning punts tomorrow and for the season. Uh, but he, he has to establish, imagine being a running back your whole life and then in your last year, I guess he would have another year of eligibility if he chose. And that, that's probably a pretty good idea because he's not, he's not draftable right now. So maybe two years as a slot receiver would give him that opportunity. But I, you know, I mean, I think, I think we're going to see a lot more in game situations than what we've been able to see in practice. Just really quickly before I send it to you guys, if you think of three guys that move positions to the slot, Theoretic is the gold standard. I think his senior year he was the, was not a great offense, but he was the straw that stirred that drink. Recently, Avery Davis was very good at it. I, I would like to see Tyree be able to get a little more involved than Avery Davis was, or he could just be as involved as Avery Davis was in the Clemson game. That would be fine as well to win the game. And people kind of forget C.J. Procise, before he moved to running back, he moved from scout team safety to wide receiver. He had about 575 yards from scrimmage his second year at slot receiver. He had a 50-yard touchdown against LSU on a jet sweep. I'd like to be able to see that type of impact from Chris Tyree, the C.J. Procise type impact. Tyree is interesting for a lot of ways, but uh, I, I talked to Tommy Reese about this in the offseason, and he was talking about like, some receivers, and he was having a hard time putting this to words, but he said some receivers are just easy to throw to, but some are not. And he felt like Tyree was sort of in the not camp. Yeah, yeah. Um, but an offseason, playing it, uh, catching, what was it? Was he at 18,000? He had to 20, 20,000 catches on their new robotic quarterback jumps machine. Um, that. Tyree needs to make that jump to somebody who's easy to throw to. Uh, and if that happens, then, you know, kind of a 45 catch season that, you know, has a bunch of third down conversions and some touchdowns along the way, I think it's totally realistic. I think Tyree is a guy that the staff um, sort of quietly has very high expectations and hopes for. I asked a member of the Notre Dame football staff within the past 10 days. Who is somebody on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball that um, us not very smart people in the media are not talking about enough now, but we'll talk about towards the end of the year. And the guy looked at me and said, I really think Chris Tyree is going to have a great year for us and make a big difference for us. And there's that sort of optimism. Again, he's one of the very fastest players on the team on a Notre Dame team that's never been faster. So, and I do think that Jared Parker will do some creative things to get him the ball in different um, maximum leverage situations. And also, as Pete referenced, Tyree spent the time to log 20,000 receptions this summer. Seven Notre Dame wide receivers logged at least 18,000 catches from that new Monarch machine. That's great from developing the receiver standpoint. That also means it saved Sam Hartman's arm and Steve Angeli's arm a little bit. And with Notre Dame reaching the midpoint of its season before the calendar turns to October, you want Hartman as fresh as possible. And I just wrote about this today. Marcus Freeman thinks this is the, obviously the freshest team, he's healthiest team he's had going into the season at Notre Dame, but he believes that they've done some things that they'll carry forward to make sure they're fresher and more explosive. Who would they say on defense? Um, they said Jalen Steve. Right, that's okay. All right, I'm going to throw some cold water on this whole thing. It's one thing to catch 20 passes off of Jugs. It's another thing to catch it in stride against a defender. So, I mean, again, I, I, first of all, we, 
we all love Chris Tyree. Chris Tyree is a Notre Dame man in, in every sense. He's a great kid. We hope great things for him, but at, at full speed, we'll see. Hope he does. Hope he does. Our next question. So we want to know, over or under 28 and a half passing touchdowns for Sam Hartman on the season? That's a good, that's a good number. This is part of Monday that, Musings. And that that's her question. That's hers, 28 and a half. That's I like her it. Question. She has fractions already? That's oh, good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That She's going to go to Notre Dame. Yeah, I like it, so that's great. Andy I don't know fractions, and I went to Notre Dame, so. Andy Louise. Yeah. All right, I would say Andy Louise. Andy Louise? Andy Louise. Oh, uh, definitely over. Without, without, actually for me, barring uh, injury, of course. I think that's over by game. What? That's way, I think it's way over, right? Way over. That's over, that's over by game uh, 10. And they'll play 13 minutes. still learning to count hats. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, way over on that. Like at, at, at this point, like I think Sam Hartman, if you had the total touchdowns, Ian Book had 40 in 2019 with, with running involved. Like that would be a good number for Sam Hartman. That would give me like uh, 40. That's a that's a healthy number for a, a, the uh, the Northern football program. I definitely like the over. Brilliant, brilliant question from Andy Louise. Um, I definitely like the over for Sam Hartman again because this is going to be uh, a different offense. I think we all are maybe guilty of not talking enough about the fact that there's better top-down staff chemistry right now for, for Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. Um, that's not to say Tommy Reese needed to go, but there's a long-standing trust factor and friendship factor with Marcus Freeman and Jared Parker. I think there's more synchronicity there with everybody being on the same page. And the one guy on staff now that Marcus Freeman didn't hire is Mike Mickens. They were already together at Cincinnati. They were already really great friends. All of those things don't factor into the offense, but they factor into, I think, a healthier top-down culture that will help Notre Dame do better things on the field. And our next question from Tony Strang from the Irish Illustrated website, Store. Thanks, Len. I'd like to say thanks guys for coming out here today. I'd like to say thanks to Len for his hard work as well. Uh, my question is, my question is uh, with Dick, Don, and Tyree moving, how deep are we in the running back position? Is it just gonna be estimated the whole time or is this gonna run the whole entire game? Where are we at? I would, I mean, I, I would think tomorrow it would be heavier estimate than than against uh, most opponents this year. Uh, you know, we this this came up on our message board. And Nordheim's five deep, five deep at running back. It's it's estimate Jadarian Price, Devin Ford, Jabron Payne, and Jeremiah Love. Not necessarily in that order. The way the Nordheim depth chart is listed by Notre Dame. Jabron Payne is listed second, but there's or, or, or. So we don't really know exactly who the number two running back is, except that uh, late in the practice viewing practices that we were allowed to see, Payne was getting a lot of a lot of carries with the number two unit. So that was kind of what tipped us off there. I do have, I mean, I do think, you know, Jadarian Price is coming off of an Achilles injury which is a very difficult injury to be at your best one season later. 
the best of Jadarian Price is coming in 2024 and beyond. But the, the, the problem, and, and Dila McCullough, the running backs coach, loves Jadarian Price. He loved him before the injury. He still loves him now. But the problem with an Achilles injury is that you end up dealing with a, with a calf issue that, that ties in, literally ties in from the, the, the Achilles. And so I think what, as they monitor this, uh, you know, Jadarian Price is not ready for a full workload. And the reason that Jabron Payne was listed number two, however many oars there were on the depth chart, is because he's the, outside of Estime, if Price isn't full go throughout the course of a game, Payne is the most experienced within the program because he was on the roster last year. And Devin Ford, who I really like a lot from Penn State, was not on the roster. And of course, Jeremiah Love is a, is a true freshman. So, I, you know, I think, I think, Mostly estimate in game one, uh, but they will branch out, and I think we're all mostly bullish on Price, and me in particular, Ford. I love this film at Penn State. He ended up getting beaten out by a couple of real talents, including Nicholas Singleton, who broke my heart when he chose Penn State. Uh, but it's a, it, it's a good group, and when the situation dictates, they will uh, deal McCullough. Once a lot of running backs in the game, they'll play as many as they can. I was just, the way that the staff dealt with Audrey Gessame in camp, I think, was sort of a tell about how they're going to use him in the fall. They, they sort of treated him almost like an NFL back in, in the month of August, where we would go out to practice. You know, he wouldn't get a lot of live reps. They had the jersey scrimmage um, to just really close training camp. He didn't play in that. Um, and, like, was he a little banged up? Maybe. But I think for the most part, it's like, we're going to give you 200-plus carries this fall, and we want to make sure you're totally healthy when that happens. So that's that's why I think it will be overwhelmingly estimated, but running back depth is, is one of the positions on the roster that I, that I feel better about today than I would than I did sort of on August 1st. Yeah, to, to estimate, he basically was on a pitch count in August. But the fact is, again, the way that, that Marcus Freeman delved into the analytics and statistics from last summer's preseason camp when he cited concussion injuries, soft tissue injuries, some other setbacks. They approached this camp and tailored this camp differently to make sure Notre Dame was as healthy as conceivably possible starting tomorrow, and they believe that they are. Um, but with that, when SMA did go, he was able to you know, throw a four-seam fastball. He was cutting it loose. I think they're better suited because of that. I also think that running back position is the single deepest on the Notre Dame roster. And what if, if three or four years ago, if Kyron Williams couldn't start, you would have been, I think, really nervous about who was behind him in Notre Dame. If Audric Estime has a game where he can't start, I don't think there's near as much uh, gnashing of the teeth now because of not only how deep, but how versatile the Notre Dame running back room is. Okay, we've got two more questions, and then we're going to wrap up the podcast, and then we've got a special guest, the artist who has donated a prize. Max Arnett is here to talk about her work of art for the Early Miss Classic based on the Book of Kells. So your next question, run up. So my question is, uh, so Notre Dame typically has a very high percentage of turning, when getting a turnover. Uh, Navy, on the other hand, both offensively and defensively, typically a very disciplined team. 
with a Notre Dame defense whose strength is in the defensive backfield, what do you expect them to be doing up front to force a disciplined Navy offense into uh, making mistakes? That's a great question, and Notre Dame needs to force more turnovers than they did last year, regardless, it's, and I think they will at the secondary. But we talked a little bit to J.D. Bertrand about it yesterday, asking specifically what is your job against the uh, triple option. I think Tim was going to see if he could find out exactly what J.D. Bertrand's job was. But no, it did not work. But uh, I, I think that front seven, they, you want that ball pitched because as Pete mentioned, he talked to Jack Kaiser in the, in the offseason, and Jack Kaiser said he likes playing against the triple option because you can actually, if you know what you're doing, dictate where that ball goes. Well, you can take away the fullback with that defensive line. You can take away the quarterback by attacking him and making him pitch. They want the ball on the outside. If you're looking to create a turnover against Navy, it's getting it on the pitch. It's getting it on the outside. But really the best way to create a turnover against Navy Hold them to third and eight, because on third and eight, that is where they can get in some trouble. Last year, Notre Dame created two, or they, Clarence Lewis had an interception in that game. And I think other than that, Navy's only real issues were as the game progressed where uh, they missed an onside kick attempt against the Irish. But if you can dictate what you want Navy to do, I think that's how you force the turnovers. But I think Notre Dame's turnover quotient goes up after Navy. I know you're specifically wanting to win tomorrow, but I, I think it goes up after this game a little bit. I think, uh... Marcus Freeman slash Notre Dame slash Al Golden have found the approach that they want to take against triple option. You'll see a 4-4-3 a, a kind of front. And I, and I realize that every every defense with defensive line, second level linebackers, third level defensive backs, want to create a wave to the football. You, you, have, you have the first wave followed by the second wave and third wave, but against triple option, that's very important because of the three options in the third one pushes the ball to the edge and they like what the 4-4-3 four, four, allows them to do to win up front with your strong guys and then and then uh, work your way down the line of scrimmage and you're probably going to see Jack Kaiser a linebacker as one of the three as one of the safeties in that wave of defenders coming in coming up to defend the triple option so um, they have a good plan to it JD Bertrand's <laughs> Position in the lineup is so critical, and, it, and we saw that. We saw his what his absence, how his absence hurt last year, mainly in the second half. So they have a good plan against it, um, and now it's just a matter of executing it with a bunch of veteran veteran defenders. And we're going to wrap up the questions with a person who came all the way from Davenport, Iowa, with a double to ask a question. Well, I'm gonna go big picture, guys. Um, the over-under on Notre Dame joining a conference is four and a half years. You're required to bet your house. What are you betting? One word's fine. I'm just, I'm just curious what the temperature is. Four and a half. Four and a half years, I would bet the over. Uh, but if you set the line at ten and a half years, I would have a hard time coming up with which, which side of that I would want to fall on. I think that. Look, it's, you're going to have a new athletic director in Pete Pabacua coming on board already, but like full-time next year. Um, you know, what the new media rights deal with NBC looks like, I wrote extensively about that at The Athletic. Like, Notre Dame's optimistic that they can sort of be within striking distance of the Big Ten SEC and within 10 to $15 million, um, which sort of keeps them financially viable at the level they need to. 
that that's really the big thing right now to me is like can Notre afford to still be independent? Um, it costs money. Like I think every people outside Notre Dame think that like they're 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 just like raking in the dough because they're independent. Like they actually pay a tax for that. Um, they're fine with that because it, it allows shout out development to like go out and sell the story of independence and like you get to you know go around the country and sort of hey this is an important part of like who we are and what we're about. But um, ten years from now, if the college football playoff changes again, or the SEC and the Big Ten says, hey, we're gonna go with a 12-game all-conference schedule, then then Nernick sort of has to be on guard with that because it, uh, that may, you, you might be in a position there where paying the independent tax is, is too high of a cost for Nernick. My wife would tell you that I gamble too much, but uh, I'm absolutely betting the over on that to your question, especially at four and a half years, because I think that the conference affiliation is going to become so de-emphasized in the coming years. We're already seeing it. It's, it's just a loose, it's a loose element right now when you have West Coast teams joining the Big Ten or on the verge of joining the ACC, which by the way, Notre Dame has advocated extremely, extremely vociferously to have those schools join because it helps Notre Dame. They like they like having the academic prowess now in the, the ACC. If you get Cal and Stanford in there, I think somebody told me that would mean seven of the top eight uh, research institutions out there academically would be in the ACC. It also preserves the rivalry with Stanford, the longstanding series that they can continue to schedule them. And the playoff is going to 12 teams. It's not going to matter your conference with a 12-team playoff, it's going to matter how you structure your schedule, and do you have 10 really quality opponents over the course of the, the season? USC has already said it will keep its long-standing rivalry with Notre Dame, even, even as it shifts into the Big Ten. Notre Dame is well-positioned to have as many um, games as it needs against ACC competition. That's only enhanced if the ACC grows a little bit. Look, Clemson and Florida State want out of the ACC desperately. They've been trying since last year. They're continuing to try. An ACC coach was texting me last night going, hey, guys, this is really going to happen. Like SMU, Cal, and Sanford, I think they're coming to the league. But it's only a matter of time before we lose Florida State and Clemson. Um, Notre Dame being so proactive to try and help get those other teams into the ACC. Again, helps the ACC, but don't underestimate how much it helps Notre Dame. Tim has the last word on this, but I know I would like to see Stanford in the ACC because rivalry weekend with Stanford and NC State would be something I just got used to. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm parroting, parroting what uh, Jack Swarbrick has always said. Did, can Nording schedule the type of teams that they want right now? Yes, they can. Do they have a path to the playoffs? Absolutely. Do they have a TV partner? Yes, they do. Uh, when one of those three factors or more than one can't be fulfilled, uh, then you have a problem. I, I definitely take the over. I agree about conference. If, if it's if SEC is, hey, we're only going to play SEC games, and the Big Ten says we're only going to play Big Ten games, well, now learning, now you start to have a scheduling problem. I'll take the over on the four and a half. But that day could come. That day could come. Predictions, last thing, predictions for tomorrow's game. Here we go, start with Tim O'Malley. 
kind of narrowed into 41.17, and it's not only because I bet the over in June, but I am going to go ahead and stick with that. Uh, I'd like to point out that this is the game I know the least of for Notre Dame Navy in the last several years because of a new head coach and the offensive coordinator, and there'll be some wrinkles thrown in. But I, I'm staying high, 41-17. I, you know, I mean, it, it, we all think Nordane's going to win, of course, but I, but I think that they're really favored in this situation because Navy has a first-time uh, head coach. I think Marcus Freeman has learned a tremendous amount in the short amount of time that he's been the head coach. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show here today that a team transitioning to become more of a passing team with a triple option offense. Look, next year when Navy plays, I think it's the eighth game of the year against Notre Dame in 2024, they will be much better prepared to defeat Notre Dame with, with an offense that varies between passing game and, and triple option. But right now, I don't think Navy is going to be ready for that over the course of 60 minutes. I have a 41 to, 41 to 13 Notre Dame victory. I, I have Notre Dame 45 13. Uh, I think the offense is going to be very difficult for Navy to keep down. And as we've talked about, all the linebacker and defensive line experience, I think it's going to be a 45-13 where Navy actually scores the last touchdown of the game. So it's going to feel a lot more like a 45-7. Um, I'm, I'm confident that Notre Dame will play well. I think this is like, and look, good Notre Dame teams hammer Navy. In 2012, that was a good Notre Dame team. They hammered Navy. Um, I'm not saying this team's going to go 12 0, but I do think this is a really talented Notre Dame team that has a chance to, to do some interesting things, and that will start tomorrow. Yeah, I think I predicted exactly the same as Tim 41 to 13, uh, which would be just a little bit above that over that O'Malley bet in June. I think the, the most recent line is Notre Dame is favored by 20 and a half. I definitely would take Notre Dame to cover in that regard. For all the unknowns that we've talked about with Navy, I would point to the knowns that we know about Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a superior team with a superior roster and with more continuity than Navy. And um, again, being reminded by their head coach as recently as yesterday, what happened in the second half last year against Navy, all that's significant. Shout out to everyone who made their donations up here for Children's, especially my guy, Joe Deeds. give a, a tremendous shout out to Len Clark. He has been the driving force behind everything that we have done here in, in Dublin and, and it's really appreciated, Len. Thank you. Uh, last, I have to have a, a pitch for irisillustrated.com. I'm not going to sit here and say subscribe. I'm going to say go to our website. Go to If you're not familiar with irisillustrated.com, go to our website. Spend a little bit of time on it and you'll understand why we feel like we are the standard of Notre Dame football coverage. Thank you very much. Did you know that over 10 million pints of Guinness are consumed every single day? Dublin is the home of this very famous Irish stout, where it's brewed, stored, and distributed worldwide. And if you're visiting Dublin, the Do Dublin Hop On, Hop Off bus tour is the perfect way to explore the city and its iconic landmarks, including the Guinness Storehouse. Book your tickets now at dodublin.ie forward slash Irish Illustrated to secure your spot on the tour. But hurry, spaces are filling up fast.